Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, June 15th, 2017, otherwise known as Global Wind Day. Hmm. I'm blowing. <laughs> what do you guys think of that? Is that positive or negative? Global wind. Uh, very Global neutral. Wind. <laughs> it's a neutral day. Neutral. I mean, it's windy. It's been windy today, actually. Ironically enough, I didn't know it. I guess we've been celebrating here. Uh, the wind <laughs> swept through the plains of Oklahoma today. Mother Nature and, knows. Yeah. She's celebrating. Wait, do you get tornadoes where you're at, Mike? Oh, yeah. We're like the tornado capital. Other than, I think Missouri gets more tornadoes than us. But Have you ever thought about doing a DIY modern... Like tornado? Tornado shelter? Tornado shelter? Oh. <laughs> um, no, but it's honestly kind of a cool idea. Uh, I guess that could be a... De- Most people, I guess, wouldn't think of a tornado shelter as a DIY project, but it definitely could be. It's just a concrete pit in the ground with a with a hatch. Yeah, I've seen some people do them where they, they use like... Yeah, they use concrete and then they like bolt a shipping container or something like that to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I never thought of it, but that's actually a pretty cool idea. Turn it into a little doomsday bunker. Yeah, and get an insurance <laughs> company to sponsor you. Ooh, yep. that's not bad at all. Yeah. Now we're cooking. Tornado shelters are like big business around here. That's actually like it would be a kind of good DIY project because it's something that doesn't normally come with a house, right? Um, yeah. But there's plenty of reason to do it, and it could be a fun reason to t- take a lesson to learn how to use like a backhoe or something like that. I think, yeah, and I think it would be a really cool opportunity to find something instead of making a concrete storm shelter, trying to find something like whether it's a small shipping container or something like that that's already existing that you can retrofit to make it Legos. into a small. Legos. <laughs> something a little Legos. stronger than Legos. Here's the thing. If you find a piece of land where you can where you can build one, I'll mm-hmm. talk to QuickCrete about it, and I bet you we can get this thing done. I'll come down and help. Ooh, you know, we, I got land. I got All land. Right. All right. All right. We'll talk about it We offline. might have to do that. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> well, Put a pencil in yeah. it. But also, <laughs> you guys, uh, this is why <laughs> we do the day of the day thing. That's why we do it. Exactly. But... Yeah. <laughs> you guys say what you will about Global Wind Day, but I say this holiday blows. Uh, anyway uh, all right what uh, are you working on uh, chris wait hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. i gotta <laughs> oh, say that i'm, I'm chris salamone from forest furniture and with me as always mike montgomery from modern builds what's up what's up and ben you from homemade modern hi <laughs> <laughs> just Coming really brought that energy. energy back down yeah for real actually you know before we get into what we're working on i gotta ask mike real quick are you a basketball fan oh yeah mm-hmm I mean, so, this year has been very disappointing, but... I was going to say, yeah, how'd you feel about watching Durant the other night? I mean, he's the biggest trader in sports history, but it's whatever. <laughs> I'm not bitter about it, if that's what you're wondering. <laughs> I think Seattle had is to kind ask, of... Had to ask. I, I think the better question is, how do people from Seattle feel about it? <laughs> They've had plenty of time to groan about it. It's been like 10 years. They can't well, he's, And he's mad. getting back to being closer. Yeah, I, He's just slowly yeah, working yeah, his yeah, way back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to turn this into a sports podcast or anything, but... There's none of those. There's, man, <laughs> is, listen, I can understand if Durant wanted to go to another team. That's fine. But don't just, like, remove competition from the NBA. It's like, it's just everyone's... On, ugh, I'm going to edit this. Everyone <laughs> on the East knows Cleveland's going to sweep just about. Everyone in the West knew Golden State was going to sweep just about. Yep. I mean, there's really no point in watching playoffs this year. But it's it's whatever. Basketball's still cool, and uh, yeah, we go can Lakers. Talk about, 
<laughs> yeah, Lakers. Yes. Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> they might have a decent squad this year. We'll see. Yeah, they might be able to They're working back. their way back up. They are. They're young and hungry. All right. Yep. But on to building Youngry. stuff. Okay, yeah. now on to building stuff. So what are you guys working on? Who wants to kick it off? Uh, I'll go first. Um, I posted a video. Uh, wasn't I posted a few videos that aren't project videos, so forgive me for that. Uh, the first one was just sort of a half-year update, and... It was it was fun. It was a little bit longer than a typical video. It covered like kind of a lot of things that are tangential to my projects, but not directly projects. So it was me hanging out with Jimmy Duresta. It was uh, me getting a tattoo. So I got to show a little behind the scenes footage of that, which is kind of like making um, and a few other things. And uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, it was fun to do. Uh, I won't be doing a lot of them. I'll probably do like, you know, two a year seems about about right. Um, and then I also posted uh, recently a video of uh, announcing the new version of the of QuickCrete's One Bag Wonder competition. Yeah. So this is the second time that they've done it. Last year was a lot of fun. And it's basically uh, what can you make out of one bag of a quick creep product so it could be the concrete mix it could be the countertop mix it could be some of their uh their quick wall product which i think is really interesting which is like a fiber reinforced uh like concrete stucco um and oh. it has cash prizes which is you know a lot more than the two two by four we'll give you pats on the back yeah so last that's it Last year, they gave away $5,000 in cash prizes, and this year, they're doing the same. So what's awesome is that there's really easy to enter. All you have to do is buy a bag of QuickCrete, which is as little as like three to five. Way too expensive. Yeah, three to five bucks. (laughs) Make something, take a picture of it, post it on uh, uh, Instagram with all the right hashtags. But if you're interested, check out the video on my YouTube channel or go to QuickCrete.com, and you can... uh, Enter more design and making competitions. Um, I'm going to do it. You can do it again? Yeah. yeah. The other thing yeah. is in terms of working. I want redemption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you got to redeem yourself. <laughs> I, I voted for yours last time. I'm, I am. You know, I can understand. Mine, you know, it does seem a little scary. What I should have done, if anybody doesn't know what the project was, I, I made like a big concrete chandelier. And oh, I yeah, can I see where that. people might have been like, hey, I'm worried about this. 50 pound concrete chandelier hanging from my ceiling you know, people always say that about my concrete lamps but it's not like a normal chandelier is light glass is heavy yeah, too. well it literally is light yeah oh, <laughs> snap. um but no chandeliers are if they're made out of steel and glass chances are they're pretty heavy as well so yeah exactly yeah what i should have done though sorry i'm interrupting no, but in hindsight i should have made it out of styrofoam and then did that little skim coat method I did mm. on the on the countertops. That I think would have been a perfect application for that skim coat stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways, go on. Um, so <laughs> getting back into sort of building stuff right now. So just finishing up the the bench for the Beecher Museum, uh, which is just plywood Ooh. and zip ties. And oh, the, I saw that on your Instagram stories. Yeah. Um, that looked really cool. So they they originally, uh, I mean, they're still exhibiting my zip tie chair, but that's not the easiest thing to do for a workshop. So I made a really simple bench that the only fasteners are you just drill holes through the plywood and then use very colorful zip ties to just stitch it all together. Um, and so finished building that and just editing some video. 
And right now just tidying up on a bunch of little projects, but I think later this week I'm tackling a couple big ones. So uh, stay tuned and check out the Instagram stories. Nice. Very cool. Chris, what do you got? So last week, remember we were talking about how I wanted to start that dining room table and I couldn't think of anything. And then I don't remember how it came up. I think maybe Mike brought it to my attention, but it sparked the idea for rebuilding that first coffee table that I had made when I was um, in the woodworking class and the one that I had tested the strength of and broken. So I started building that this past (laughs) weekend. Yeah. And I I pretty much have everything done. The only thing I have left to do is just like the finish work and attaching it to the tabletop, which is going to be a little trick in its own. I still got to think about that part, but um, yeah, I got all the pieces together and it's been pretty funny going back through it because first off, I think the interesting thing has been, you know, now here I am like basically, I don't know, six years later from when I first built it and a true pro, a true pro compared to the amateur that I was then. No, but, um, it's funny. Like it's not any more simplistic than what I build now. Like it's just as complex. It's just that all the little things that I've learned along the way make it so much easier this second time around, especially like in order of like, you know, the order of operations of doing things like before the first time I built it, a lot of things didn't line up good because you fall into that same trap that a lot of beginners fall into where you try to make all your shapes or cut all your pieces too early in the process. And, you know, Mm. thinking that everything's going to come out to the exact dimension that you plan everything else out to. And then you have one little mess up and it's like, Oh, now that doesn't fit anymore. So it's been (laughs) interesting. Nothing else fits. Yeah. Like, um, (laughs) I'll have to put up a drawing to explain it, but there's the top part of the leg kind of um, starts off thick and then tapers down to meet with the stretcher. And so the first time I made it, I cut out all those pieces. And then, of course, the height of the stretcher and the thickness of the leg at the end of that taper were not exactly the same. So this time I waited until the very end to cut that taper. It's just like little things like that. They're not any easier or harder to do it one way or the other, but the order that you do it in makes all the difference in the world. So I think it's been an interesting build from that perspective. Yeah. The concept of field measurements, right? Like of of measurements that you take after checking to make sure or to see how far off your previous measurements were is like, it's it's a pretty important concept that beginners don't always, I think, get. They just think, oh, everything's this size so you just go through cut all the pieces and assemble it like legos no no no. (laughs) not quite the the more experience you get it's not that you always cut things accurately you just get used to expecting that things won't be as accurate as they should be yeah and so just knowing okay save don't do this yet like and it's always very (laughs) tempting to do it because it's like well i'm already holding this piece and i already cut something else on it and i'm already at the table saw so why not just do it now but it's like you can save yourself a lot of headache by not doing it now what do you got going, Mike? On Friday, I went back to the YMCA and I finished up those Gaga pits. Speaking of basketball, played a little bit of basketball with those 12 and 13 year olds and was just hooping you on Dominating? Them. You're like Shaq in I his was, prime? man. I felt like Shaq <laughs> in his prime against a bunch of little... A bunch of little Jason kids. With, that, with all that weight you've lost from your, your ketogenic diet, though, can you still uh, hold it down in the post? or? Oh, your boy can hold it down in the post. <laughs> can you dunk, Mike? Can I dunk? No, I'm six foot oh, one. Oh, come on. You hang on the rim? 
Uh, I can touch the very bottom go. of it on a good jump. It's like 50-50. You know, if yeah, I, I get can a good, touch if the I, part that the hoop or that the net links to. I can get above. I can. I can get. A, I can touch the actual bottom of the hoop, like 50-50. <laughs> if I got good spring on on a, on that jump, then I can. Um, but anyways, Mike's yeah, playing above the up. net. <laughs> it went good. I'm gonna wait a week or two. The wood is still really green, and from what I understand, I shouldn't put because it's not pressure cheated. I shouldn't put my clear coat on it for a little mm. bit, let them dry out a little bit. That way it doesn't mess it up. I don't know. I've just heard it can cause issues. So I'm going to give it a week or two before I put the clear coat on that. So there'll be a little while before that video comes out. And next, I am starting on a quick little wedding gift for one of my friends. I'm just giving them a nice, uh, like a sign you would hang in your house, kind of. It's got their names on it and then their last name real big. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, the date of the wedding. It'll be just like a nice little wedding gift. I think I'm going to be filming it. I think it could be cool to, you know, just for other people. I think it's a really quick and easy gift. It takes yeah. some plywood and a scroll saw. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things. It's a cool little sign that you don't necessarily need a CNC for. Just scroll saw and some sanding and you'll be good to go. And then after that, hopefully this weekend, I am starting on my first remodel video, like a full-on renovation type uh, cosmetic upgrade video. I'm going to be doing the bathroom in the house uh, that I'm living in with my buddy, and he's going to have hopefully help me out quite a bit, be able to run the camera, so give me a little bit of like some dynamic angles as we go, at least while we're like tearing apart the, the bathroom get some cool shots and yeah, just make a fun video out of it. It'll give me a couple cool projects. I've got a really cool idea to do a LED framed mirror for the vanity, uh, which should be cool. It'll be a little bit outside of what I normally do, which I'm excited to try. I want to, I've been getting the urge a lot lately to try and experiment with different materials or different, just different things. So I'm going to be able to throw in a little bit of electronics, a little LEDs and yeah, kind of start on nice. the path of trying to try new things. I just want to try new things. Are you, you going to yeah. build the vanity itself? Uh, the the cabinet is going to stay there. I'm going to replace the doors on it. Mm. Um, but I am going to replace the countertops and faucets. Are you going to make the countertops? The, no. I thought about doing a poured concrete countertop, mm. but about, I don't know how long ago. It was about six months ago. I did a video about how to replace cabinet fronts on kitchen cabinets. Yeah. Uh, I was helping my buddy Caleb over at his house. Uh, and while we were th doing all of that, he was also kind of just replacing a few things around his kitchen. And one of those things were countertops. And we drove down to Ikea because we don't have one in Oklahoma, but there's one north of Dallas. And while we were there, they had these just really simple. They're just a, a white countertop with a stainless steel banding in the front. Uh, they're just clean, really simple. They can kind of just, I feel like, fit into whatever space you put them in. They can go a little more modern if you need that, a little more farmhouse if you want that. But they had them in their discontinued section. They had about eight of them, and they were 20 bucks a piece. So I just bought them all, and I haven't used them yet. So the video is going to be how to remodel slash update a bathroom for under 500 bucks. So I'm going to do like a design on the dime. I think the challenge or the show used to be design on a dime on HGTV. Yeah, I remember something like yeah, that. My yeah, my mom, my mom used to watch it. And so I'm going to try and do it all under 500 bucks, kind of go to my local Habitat for Humanity to try and get supplies and just try and keep the cost as low. kind of have it be a little bit of a challenge to try and get the most bang for my buck. Um, nice. So it should be fun. I'm, I'm excited for it. 
it'll give me some cool projects. You know, like I said, it'll give me a couple of projects plus the renovation video. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Sweet. All right. So I guess this week we're going to jump into just a, we just have a few quick questions that were submitted. So we're going to answer those and then we'll get into a topic. So I guess I'll take it away and pull up my phone so I can read them. All right. So prepared. <laughs> I didn't want to type it all out. And it's, it's that, you know what? Uh, whatever. Uh-oh, here Never we go. Mind. Rant. Here we go. I'm about to I, listen up iTunes. No, just joking. <laughs> Your review Let's system see. Okay, so this one. is not convenient. <laughs> is that what you were going to so, say? I was going to go off, but I was thinking about switching to Android right there. No, you weren't. (laughs) But I've I've calmed down now. All right. Okay, so the first one comes in from ML Wadester, Mm. and he says, how do you guys manage space and prioritization of tools? (laughs) Poorly? Uh, Yeah, poorly. uh, So he says he works in a 10-foot wide by 20-foot long space Mm. and has a hard time deciding on how to place things um, he's got a table saw, planer, drill press, bandsaw, workbench, and he still uses his garage from time to time. I'm assuming for a car. Um, I've got, or maybe for storage. I don't know. I've got everything on wheels, but it still is cramped and difficult to manage things like sheet goods. I so, can imagine. Well, yeah. I mean, do you guys want me to take it first? Since it sounds like it's more similar to my garage. Yeah. yeah. You know, his, his space is so ten by. That's pretty small because that, maybe that's a one car yeah. garage. I don't know. Mine's. Probably more like 17 feet by 22 feet, something like that, a two-car garage in So what in are some California. of the challenges you've come across? So th- what I do, I've had a bunch of different layouts. Like when I started, I didn't park a car in my garage. And so it was probably more efficient. Now I actually do park my car in there sometimes, which... I feel like I'm about one tool away from not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm right on the border there. Yeah. Um, so before I set everything up, what I did was I have everything on wheels except for my workbench and table saw. And I think that's probably how a lot of people end up doing it just because, you know, most people probably use their workbench as an outfeed table for their table saw. So they kind of want to keep those things together. Right. And even if they are on wheels, realistically, you're probably just not going to move them that much unless like you absolutely need to. So bef- even though I knew everything was going to be on wheels, I basically made a model for myself you know, so I could just like, I, I mapped out all of my tools and the, the size of my garage and tried a bunch of different layouts to really think about what's going to be the most efficient. And, you know, if you're not comfortable 3D modeling, you can do it with graph paper and just cut up little pieces and move them all around to just, you know, you'll, you'll spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes doing that, but you're going to save yourself your back and four hours of moving stuff around. So I played around with a bunch of different clusters. And what I ended up doing now is where... Pretty much every big tool that I use, I have to move out into a different space to use it, except for my table saw. So my planer, my joiner, my bandsaw, they're all kind of in corners or being used to like store other things behind. Mm-hmm. So it's not efficient like the way that a cabinet shop would be efficient, but it's efficient as long as you don't mind moving something. And honestly, they're on wheels. It takes two minutes to move something, not even that. The other thing is I just try to store the least amount of things that I can. So, you know, when I went right before I came to YouTube, the big thing that I did was I, I ripped out all of the storage that was in my garage and reconfigured it because pretty much what the garage came with was a few big drawers, which is really bad for woodworking because you mostly have a lot of little things that you want to store. So yeah, I, and things just get yeah. 
piled up and then lost in the yeah, mess. Yeah, so I ripped that whole thing out and built like a little miter saw station slash storage station. And I basically just like made a few little carts that are on wheels that I can put like bigger things in, like circular saws. And then on top of that, I just got a few of those, like, you know, you go to Home Depot and you can get those like tool drawers that are like 70 bucks. They'll have like a lift up top and three oh, little... Yeah. You know, they're not, they're usually not the best thing in the world, but they're really good because they have really shallow drawers. And so you can store a lot of like wrenches and screws. Um, but then, yeah, most people kind of consider those as like mechanics things yeah. because they're good for like storing wrenches and everything. But I've thought the same thing that that would be almost perfect yeah. for woodworking too, because it keeps you from like what you're saying is you can only go one layer deep. Right. Yeah. So I everything's always visible. All of like my. So I, I have like the things that I grab all the time. I'll have a dr- like somebody actually made fun of me in a video one time because they saw the inside of the drawer. It's like a drawer that only has like 10 things in it that are all like laid out like neatly. And it's because yeah. those are the things <laughs> that I grab all the time. So those are the only things I want in there so that I know I can grab it right away. I don't have to dig around for it. Um, yeah. But yeah. So do, other than that, it's just try to keep as least amount, the least amount that you can. So like. I don't have excess lumber. When I do have a bunch of offcuts, like I really ask myself, am I going to use this? And if I don't think I'm going <laughs> to, I get rid of it. Just, yeah. you know, I think it's very easy to become a pack rat when yeah. you're doing this. And so just like fight that urge at every step. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, you know, I don't, I, for, I mean, I'm kind of unusual in, in uh, how I sort of work and store tools, but in my loft, all my tools are within about a, floor to ceiling set of shelves uh that's about uh-huh. six feet wide and about nine feet tall so that's where all my handheld uh battery power tools are so it's nice they're all on display right. so the first thing you see when you walk into my house uh is that you see in the mud room this whole wall of bright green ryobi tools and people actually like it even people that don't make things are always like oh that's 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 cool it sets the tone they're, they're kind of cool looking i like the color and then yeah. I keep the shop, you know, the little contractor, tiny little table saw in the closet downstairs. And my one recent addition uh, that, I, that I just got was a, I got a big gang box uh, where I can keep some tools outside. So that's a big steel. Oh, okay. You'll see them a lot on like uh, job sites and contractors mm-hmm. use them because they, they're these steel boxes. You can lock them with two padlocks, and the way the padlocks work, that they're really hard to, you know, to cut open. Like you can't, the the bar, the little hook part of the padlock is hidden, so that you can't just clip it with you know big bolt cutters or anything like that. So they're gotcha. they're a very secure way of storing tools outside, and they're waterproof and they're steel. So I have that like bolted down to the the driveway, and I you know store a few sort of you know, bigger, messier tools like a, uh, like a compound miter saw and angle grinders and kind of like the, the things I'd only use outside. Right. So yeah, pretty minimal tool storage. And then other than that, I just need some open space to build. Sometimes I use saws horses. Most of the time I just work on the floor. If the weather's nice, I'll work in the driveway. If it's not, I'll throw down some tarps and, and just work on the floor. Yeah. Um, so I agree, though, with Chris that it is really easy to collect offcuts and scraps and things like that. And I try to do that rule where uh, if I have things for over a year I, or close to a year, I, I get rid of it. If I figure yeah. if I haven't used it in a year, yeah. time to go. That's a good way. Um, and I'm kind of similar in that the actual workspace I use is really small. It's probably 
eight to 10 feet wide, probably about 15 feet deep. And what I do is I just have uh, that one kind of wall that I tend to film against and I just have all of my tools. They're either on a mobile stand or they're light enough that I can pick up and move. Yeah. And I just move everything to where I film. A lot of that isn't out of a space necessity. It's more that it's just convenient for filming. Right. If I don't have to move my shop around a lot, I don't have to worry about this corner of the shop looking good and that corner of the shop looking good. I can just worry about this one wall looking yeah. all right. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those types of things. But I have I have noticed that just having everything, if you are going to be in a situation where you're going to be moving your tools out, just having a spot where they're almost they got like a little parking spot where everything just has a little nesting spot where it stays. And then when yep. you need it, you can just roll it out and then tuck it away when you're done. Uh, cause if you don't have a space for something, it's really hard to put it away. That's something I figured out. So just having a spot for everything and knowing that if it doesn't have a spot, it either needs a spot or it needs to be gone because clutter and small spaces do not combine well. Yeah. Hey, what are you working out of? Ben, is it like a uh, gr- like a little garage or a carport or what? It's it's yeah, it's a shop on my parents' property. Ooh, this is actually a good chance for an update that I didn't talk about. Um, it's a it's a big shop on my parents' property, but the the size that I'm the part that I'm using is about two car two like a ugh, the part that I'm using is about the width of a two car garage, uh-huh. and then the depth of about another like car and a half garage. Okay, so it's probably just a tiny bit bigger than yours, Chris. Okay. but it's also pretty unorganized overall so uh-huh. it could definitely be made uh, more efficient but i'm not going to be doing that because this week what i forgot i'm going to say is i have started building out the walls in my new shop oh nice which i'm very excited about so where's that gonna um, be that's gonna be where i'm living now because okay. i moved out of my parents house about a year coming up about six months probably now okay um and yeah, I don't know. I've just been procrastinating really on actually getting to it. It's just one of those things where I don't want to take a break because I feel like I'm going to miss out on content. Yeah. But with the bathroom remodel, that gives me the perfect perfect opportunity to be doing that mm-hmm. and moving the shop at the same time. I don't necessarily need a wood shop for that remodel kind of project. It's a lot more just kind of construction type stuff yeah so it gives me the opportunity to do both kind of at the same time and be able to settle into the new shop so if anyone's got some cool uh tips in terms of setting up a shop maybe something that has really helped increase just like space efficiency or something that's just a good shop tip hit me up on instagram i definitely want to know because this is going to be my first actual proper shop setup so do you think there's i'm down for any advice anybody's got you think there's anything that you can do for it that would go on your channel or your plan is to not put any of it on the channel? Yeah. My, my plan is to do a a video. It'll be titled something like moving into the new shop Uh because I do plan on filming it because it's basically a blank slate that I'm putting walls up. I'm going to be building, you know, a new workbench for organization, you know, clamp racks, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. So I'll just kind of, I don't want to do a bunch of individual videos because I'm not really huge on watching, uh, yeah, like shop project videos. Yeah. Um, I guess that's probably because I don't really have a shop to incorporate all that really with. Um, I think that's probably what a lot of that is, but so I'm going to just try and lump it into one video. Maybe it's a 12 minute video and but that's okay. You know, I'll just hopefully put a lot of good info into it. Yeah. I always remember watching, like, I felt like I watched some things where like all people were doing was upgrading their shop continuously. Yeah. It's like at some Mm -hmm. point 
you have like you're just like building things you to got- help you build a better <laughs> thing. It's like at some point you have to actually build furniture. Yeah, but I mean, if that's what someone's into is just having a really cool shop for the sake of it, that's awesome. I'm just more into the actual project and the end goal. Um, yeah. But sometimes I kind of lament that a little bit because it is like, God, my shop is so messy. I've got no dust collection. So in that way, I am kind of jealous yeah. of the people that spend a lot of time with their shop. But then again, it's like, but you know what I we got to do? Make very many projects. Other hands. What? If you, if anybody out there listening to this, if you're that person that loves to update a shot or update a shop, hit me up on Instagram because you can come over and upgrade my shop anytime. Oh, I was gonna say I thought you were sending him my way. Like hit oh, my and way. definitely build out his shop. Well, and then you know, after yours is already, you, yours is already so full of tools and actually, pretty you much know all, it, your, yours is like set up already. You know, mine's a blank slate. Yeah, go to Mike's house, <laughs> test out some stuff. If it works, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Whatever's good, then you come to my <laughs> shop and then you can do it again perfectly. Right. Yeah. But anyways, real talk. If anybody does have some cool shop tips, something that's really helped you out a lot, let me know because. I'm going to be tackling that in the next couple or for the next couple weeks. So hit me up. Hit me up. All right. (laughs) Another question here. This one is real quick. It's just for me. He says um, in a video just from everybody. Hey, take five. All right. Yeah. (laughs) In a video a while back, Chris made drink coasters for Casey Neistat. Did you ever see him open them on mail time or have you ever had a response from Casey? So I've been kind of sitting on this, but actually next week I'm flying out to New York and I'm going to do a collab with Casey. I don't believe you. Well, then you're correct because I am lying. (laughs) No, I actually, it's funny. I I sent those to him and then like immediately out, like I think like the next day he's like, I'm shutting down the vlog. Oh yeah. But didn't you send a set to Nerdwriter too? I did. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to say. I said, I saw that. Yeah. And he, he put him on his channel. He sent me an email. Super nice. Very, uh, like super nice guy. Really thankful. He, um, that was pretty cool. But yeah. You actually introduced me to his channel. I'd never watched it before, and I would say it's now one of my top tens. Like I've gone back and watched every single video. Yeah, they're really interesting, really good. So anybody who doesn't know who the Nerd Rider is, check them out. Go check them out. All right. Now let's go into another question that's kind of tailored towards Ben, but it will uh, it'll kind of segue into the topic for tonight. So this one comes in from Called Creative, and he said, Ben, is there anywhere I can hear you expound on your utilization of Pinterest as SEO versus social media? I was initially confused by Pinterest, but now I've come to enjoy it as an idea generator. However, I don't understand how to leverage it to increase web traffic. Well, Do you want to give out free advice? Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, think his, I think the answer is kind of hidden in, in the question. So he uses it for idea generation. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people use it for as consumers. So yep. I use it that way. I'll go on to Pinterest and because I follow people that I think have really cool taste and are excellent curators of all things design, I go into my Pinterest homepage and I just see this great feed. It's like no text. It's just all images of things that I think are cool. And yep. I just scroll through them and I, if I see something that I want to save as an idea, I just add it to my boards um, and uh, I have different boards with different categories. So some, whatever I'm adding to somebody's board is somebody's content. And if I'm really interested and want to read about it right then, uh, I might just click on it and see where that image leads me to. Because if you click on the image, it'll, it, there's a link behind it, and it'll take you to the original website. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, other people often click on thumbnails so I'll, you can pin a YouTube video, for example, 
is if, I, if somebody searches for DIY sofa, which is a pretty common search term on Pinterest, they may find a whole bunch of sofas and they'll probably at some point, especially if they put DIY modern sofa, yeah. uh, will find a, an image of one of my sofas. And if they click on it all the way through past Pinterest, they will go to the video and then watch the video. Or it might take them to the website post that I have, um, which has the video and all the step-by-steps. So because people are using it for idea generation uh, and it's a whole bunch of curated content, my content ends up on there. Now, in terms of how you use it, so a lot of those pins of my stuff are coming from people going to my website or finding me on other channels and then wanting to save it. So they just pin it to their boards and that's how it gets populated onto Pinterest. Um, so the way to sort of, to, to use it is by taking really good still images that even if you're making a video, you need a really good thumbnail of a, mm-hmm. of, a, of a finished, uh, project. What's interesting in our sort of community is that, uh, people tend to, and especially the YouTube community is that people tend to focus so much on the video. They forget to take a really great finished Pro, uh, product shot of, of of the end and so that's why they often don't do as well on pinterest uh if you take if you could build the nicest piece of furniture ever but if you take a picture of it under fluorescent lights on top of your table saw it's not going to do that well <laughs> on pinterest um so pinterest is i believe it's the largest search engine uh for images it's a way more effective search engine than Google Images. Google Images, I mean, for as amazing as Google is, their Google image search is not that great. And when you factor in sort of Pinterest ability to sort of curate and then also learn your taste by who you follow, it's a really effective. So earlier today, uh, I'm working on a, some ideas for a, uh, a water-jetted bluestone uh, fire pit. Whoa. And so I was thinking, I was like, huh, what do I want this to look like? So I, I got a water jet so I can cut the stone in like a pretty interesting way. So I was trying to think, how do I want to cut this pattern to make a fire pit out of blue stone? And I was thinking, you know, it'd be cool if it looked like kind of like a Gothic stained glass window. You know, one of those big round ones that's all articulated with like stone mullions and stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. So I searched uh gothic uh or uh, gothic geometry and then i kept refining the search and it just came up with all these really cool drawings it actually didn't just show what the end design looked like they actually dissected the geometry with like different lines overlaid over it and so you could really get a sense of what the sort of fundamental shapes were behind these really complex uh, things so that's like a perfect example of how to use Pinterest. And in doing so, I found all these people sort of architectural uh, research projects and things like that. So a uh, big Pinterest fan. As a disclaimer, I was a uh, advisor for Pinterest as part of their am- ambassador program. Um, so I have a little bit of, a, of affiliation with them, but that's also because, you know, I've been using it for a long time. And I have a story about Pinterest. I actually met a supermodel through Pinterest. Um, yeah, so. Everybody has one of these stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my previous graphic designer <clears throat> was always telling me to get on Pinterest. And she was on it really quick because she's big up on tech. And I was like, oh, I don't need another sort of thing to, to do. She kept telling me. So finally I signed up and joined. And it was, I was like, oh, this is a really useful tool. 
And I didn't realize that I was building not a huge audience, but like maybe like five to 10,000 followers. And I was just using it to sort of had no intention of building a following. I was just doing it to curate images that I like for future reference. And, you know, didn't think anything about it. And then like a few months later, after I first started using it, uh, one of my friends uh, texts me and goes, dude, uh, Coco Rocha just mentioned you in an interview. And I'm like, well, who's that? Who's that? And, and <laughs> a cockroach like, just did what? Coco Rocha. <laughs> she's a very well-known uh, model, like like high fashion model. She's been on like, the cover of Vogue many times. And she actually does really well on social media. I think she's like over a million followers on all her channels and stuff. Yeah. Um, but in the interview, they, they're asking her, like, uh, some of her favorite designers. And she mentioned, uh, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but this guy, Ben Ueda, like, I follow him on a Pinterest, and I really like his taste. Like, it, it's, a, you know, it's a, I feel like he's finding all the things that I would like. Huh. And what's really interesting is that neither one of us knew who the other person was, but we sort of... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, started following each other on Pinterest and sort of became aware of each other because of similar aesthetic taste for like furniture, design, graphics, and things like that. So I ended up reaching out to her and sort of thanking her for the mention on Twitter. Uh, that led to a sort of a collab, and she ended up in one of my YouTube videos uh, building uh, one of my bucket stools. I sort of gave her a little oh, yeah. tutorial on how on how to build it. So what was cool is that it wasn't about like so many social medias are about like people reach out and are kind of friendly because it's like oh you have a big following you have a big following oh <laughs> let's just give yeah. each other a little bump and pretend we're like BFFs um, yeah like what we're doing here right yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, what was cool about this is that it was just because we shared similar interests and we discovered it through uh, we had liked a lot of the same images and then Pinterest sort of figured that out and introduced us to each other's feeds by sort of through suggestions yeah so it's a it's a it's a pretty cool tool and i think has been one of the ways uh and when i look at like my web traffic uh pinterest i'm not sure i think it accounts for about 15 percent of my inbound uh clicks to my youtube channel but for my website i think it accounts to for to for about uh, twenty to thirty percent of my website traffic. Oh wow! So, yeah, that is not a small amount. That's that's a, <laughs> that's a big number. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, there's there's very few things that I've done uh, that have improved something by twenty or thirty percent of my web traffic. Yeah. So, and that's that's been consistent year after year for you know for the last two or three, if I you know I think yeah I was looking at my, some analytics recently and yeah I think for the last two years it's been twenty to thirty percent of the inbound traffic comes from Pinterest. So if you have, but that being said, you need to have good images. And, uh, I think Pinterest has like a, you know, there's, if you search Pinterest best practices, they'll tell you, uh, you know, all those sort of things. But basically yeah. one of the tricks that I'll do is I'll make a composite image that's vertically oriented and it has sort of text in the image file itself. So like, it'll be like a JPEG that says DIY sofa on it. Mm -hmm. um, and that post will then link to uh, the website post that has the full instructions. So use Pinterest, take good pictures, and uh, those are my first tips for that platform. And that's leading us into our topic, which is how to build an audience. Yeah. 
Yeah. So <laughs> it's something it's something we've all done. Yeah. And the the way I'll preface this is <laughs> the answer is different for each person uh, because it's <laughs> one we're doing different things. We want audience for different reasons, um, and also we all have different abilities and different tendencies and different little niches of, of audience that are, that are attracted to whatever the specifics of what we produce. So what you should take from this isn't like writing down a bullet point list that if I do this and then I do this, I'll get this many followers. Right. Any site that sort of tells you, here's the 10 things you should do to build a massive, you know, YouTube audience or Instagram audience. They're not quite lying, but they're telling you general things for a practice that's highly specific. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you right now, like I don't follow very many of those best practices. Like I don't post on a regular schedule. I don't worry about consistency. Um, all I worry about is producing content that I think is interesting and setting everything up so I can be as prolific as possible. And then I watch the results and evolve and adapt. Um, but that being said, there are some things that we can probably share uh, that have worked for us, and we'll try to tease out some of the concepts behind them so that you can experiment with those concepts, but not necessarily the, the prescription. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things I think most people always say are consistency is key. Um, that was something whenever I started making videos, Casey Neistat was preaching. Um, and obviously I think that's more directed to people that are trying to be like a daily vlogger or something like that. But still, I took that to heart. Whenever I started making videos, I did post on a weekly schedule for almost a year. And I attribute a lot of that, uh, to why I was able to get an audience as quickly as I did. Um, simply because the more videos you have out there, the, the more opportunity you have for people to find you. I think that's the most basic way to explain it. But I, I would challenge that a little bit, and I would say that that might be an outcome of being prolific, right? Rather than because like it could be if you just produced fifty two videos a year, doesn't it might not matter if it's every week, yeah, or four in one week and then none the next week, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of just taking it as like a guideline because for me, it definitely helped to have a schedule. I noticed that I probably was a little bit more prolific in that time span. Granted, I didn't have as much of the business side of things to deal with because it was kind of almost like the pre-revenue state of YouTube where all you really have to focus on is the videos. You don't have people that are interested in sponsoring content. You don't have you don't even really have people emailing you questions, you know, just about stuff. It's just like, yeah, I make videos and people are starting to watch them. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a when you're starting, that's a big opportunity to try and crank out as much content as you can while you don't have any of the outside influences um, kind of not bothering you, but like, you know, taking up any time away from that. Yeah, I would, I would say one of the things that uh, that I think would be sort of a universal concept to, to tr- attempt or try or experiment with would be uh, imagine who you want, would want your audience to be and sort of reverse engineer how they would find you. Yeah. Right. So most people will find you either through search or from some sort of sharing. Uh, and the sharing isn't always a sharing directly on a platform. It could be somebody emailing. It could be someone saving it on Pinterest and you happen to follow them. So you see what they're saving on Pinterest. Uh, so I would say think about it in terms of 
you know, reverse engineering, how will someone that doesn't know I exist come to find the things that I'm doing? And then, so the way I always think of it is that almost everyone that's ever found my work saw it probably as a still image or a thumbnail first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right? Even on YouTube, you see the thumbnail first. Right. So that's how I thought about it. And then that made me think, well, if that's, that's my front door, that's the entryway into what I do. And so whatever I do, I want that thumbnail to be good. <laughs> um, so yeah. when I think about how to make video content efficiently, I mean, obviously, the more time you spend, the, the, you know, ostensibly the content could be better and better. I could get more light and then rearrange the lights. I could do more dynamic camera angles and get two or three cameras and have them moving on dollies and all those things. You're, you're but, so right about that. Yeah. But all of that's a mute point if they, and, and doesn't build me audience if they don't click on the video in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to do all those things, but it's just about prioritizing. So I always prioritize the still image that's going to be the thumbnail first. Yeah, that's, that's everything. F- yeah, that kind of brings a funny story to my head. Uh, the best performing video I have is a, it's a bed. It's a platform bed. And a lot of that I attribute to it's just a high search term, DIY bed. But the, it's kind of funny. I was taking the still images for that. And I remember taking the because I'm not great at photography. And this is something that I think uh, might kind of help people is that I have no training in video. I have no training in photography. And I think that shows, um, you can definitely see a progression (laughs) in terms of like from when I started to where I am now, there's still a long way for me to go before I get to where I'm shooting, making videos that look good like Chris's, but you know, I'm on my way. All that to say, um, I remember whenever I was taking the pictures, once I got that bed done, and I was kind of moving the bed around to get my thumbnail image. I had, I always call them glamour shots. But I was getting my glamour shots and kind of just moving the bed around, getting everything. And I was like, okay, I need to get one for my thumbnail. And I remember taking that picture and I thought, man, that was a good picture. And then when I got <laughs> it back on the computer and I kind of did a little color correcting and got the title on it. I remember looking at that and saying, I think this is my best thumbnail. I was just like, this is so clickable. And yeah. a couple million views later, it's like my best video yet. And I attribute like 90% of that to the fact that I think it's just got a really great thumbnail. It's a really high searched project in terms of just like people want to know how to make beds. Um, so, yeah, thumbnails are huge. Yeah. Now, as the person, the owner of the smallest audience of the three of us, I feel like I'm the most qualified to talk about this. <laughs> so no. You're also um, the newest. That's right. New kid on the block. Um, no. So, yeah, I think to go back to one of Ben's points about, like, maybe uh, not distrusting, but just take it with a grain of salt, all those, like, here's how to grow your audience things. If it doesn't start and end with have good content, then disregard it because uh, uh, that's the backbone of everything. Yeah. And then thumbnails are so important, like you guys have been saying. Let me ask you this, though. So when I started... I always like followed all the best practice things and it's always saying to, you know, put some descriptive text on there. And I did that at first and then I quit doing it because I was like, you know what? I think having these like very clean images, especially when putting the text doesn't really describe anything more for, for some videos it does. Like if it's like DIY or, you know, 
make this with one tool or whatever, then I think it adds value to it. But a lot of times adding text to a thumbnail doesn't add value. So I feel like it's like, okay, this might be a good best practice for, you know, if you're talking to 10,000 videos, it's a best practice for 9,000 of those videos, but don't just assume that things are best practices for every video. So just like really ask yourself, is this adding value or what's the best way to distinguish myself from other thumbnails? And it's funny, I actually had, oh no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say to that point, the one reason that I think text on thumbnails is a good thing is in the case that they get shared where the title of the video isn't right above it, that's where it comes in most handy. Yeah, Yeah, embedded posts and stuff like that. Yep. Okay, so let's take, uh, so yeah, I think that it does work for a lot of them, but like take something like Bad Larry or the, the record player one. Okay. Like, would you put text on that? Like, what would you say that would add value to that? Yeah, so that, that's a really. Hmm, I, I I have the answer. I would put like a <laughs> oh, no, baby. okay. Then you go ahead. You get your yeah. You got it. So uh, this is why I like to think of things as search versus share. So I'll normally try to to describe it. I'll give it a generic title, uh, and that's one place where I would just be consistent. But for example, the Lego and concrete projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not really searchable because, n- n- as far as I know, no one had really done that before. Right. And no one's Googling search- that. Yeah. Right. So the the concrete nesting tables that I did, it's concrete nesting tables would be the finished outcome product type. But that's not a high search term. And, you know, who really knows? But if it's tagged with Lego and people are mm-hmm. searching for Legos and then they see concrete nesting table, that the juxtaposition of the simple, practical, non-search for terms, but with the tag of Legos might sort of trigger something. Wait, why is this showing with Legos? Wait, did he make that out of Legos? Yeah. So even if it's not there, right? So if you, you know, the Bad Larry or something like that, uh, having the, you know, the, 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 the name or the term that you have on the thumbnail might be really generic or it might be highly specific, but it still could help either way when it's juxtaposed at, at the result of a search. So always think of these two things kind of in parallel. So beds, modern beds, I'm guessing is probably one of the search terms that led to a lot of people finding Mike's video. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then the thumbnail is reinforcing that his video is the one that they should click on out of all those search results. Right. If you add sort of DIY or something like that, it also gives the indication that it's instructional and not just a demonstration of an expert making it. Right. Right. right? So think about like reverse engineer how people would use different search terms um, and sort of find it. So what did you name the Bad Larry video? I don't know. Modern credential. I'd have to go look at it. I I don't remember, honestly. Um, But so. Actually, to that point, so I think one of the other things, so one of the best practices would be to be consistent with your thumbnails. And I think that this is an instance where not being consistent consistent would have probably behooved me. So like when I did the Lego coffee table bench thing, I didn't put Lego on there. That video, I should have said, well, you know what? Even though I don't put text on most of my videos, I'm going to put text on this one. Should have like, actually. <laughs> should have been, should have baited those people, yeah. bait and switch. But like, I did put it on the um, like the simple wall organizer because I was like, well, this is a thing that you're going to look at it and be like, I have no idea what that is. So it needs some kind of description. Yeah, yeah. I want I want things to be consistently good. Other than that, I don't right. care about consistency. Yeah. I don't. 
like I, I, I just want each thing to make sense in its own thing. What like, makes yeah, the most sense for this project or this thumbnail? Because there, there is a certain impulse where you, when as a, as a creator where you look at your whole suite of videos where you kind of want them to all match just from a little bit of like OCD-ness. Right. But that doesn't, in my mind, add massive amounts of value. Maybe it adds some little bit to, to other people and it makes them think of it overall as a more consistent and nice channel, which maybe they don't just that, – that triggers them over to subscribe. But my my theory would be that that's not a major needle mover. Yeah. Um, so again, when you're conceiving, so I would say sort of the consistency, it helps. It certainly doesn't hurt. But to me, it's less important than just focusing on being prolific and producing really good content. Yeah, I think to your point about wanting those things to be consistent, like if you're looking at your page, it's the type of thing where if you're catering to that person, you're catering to somebody who already really likes what you're doing anyway. That's the perfect point. Yeah. 99% of people are going to see you along with, if we're talking YouTube, they're going to see your video along with five others on the same page. So what can Uh you do to make your video the one that gets clicked instead of everyone else's? Right. Without being and, without being clickbaity and, you know, you got to obviously, yeah. you know, but, you know, that's a big point of it is people, for the most part, if they're like what you said, they're already fans if they're going to your channel and seeing your entire breadth of videos. Right. So yeah. make each individual video stand out right. as much as it can. You know, it's really consistent, which is the same all the time, but it's terrible. Applebee's. <laughs> oh, baby. We got to rag on Applebee's every it's episode. So true. No. Okay. So I, w- I want to go through a few other sort of, I think, semi-unpopular opinions, right? Or, or things that I think are sort of out there in the public consciousness. Oh, that here I, comes that the I racial slurs. Particularly f- <laughs> that <laughs> no, I don't, not quite that. that I don't that I don't particularly find uh, true, right? Okay. And one of, one of the tendencies is the sort of well-rounded things, right? Where people always look for the most popular types of videos. So I've had so many people that are starting YouTube channels or Instagram feeds. And they go, well, I think I should do this because this seems to be the most popular type of content. Uh-huh, right? yeah. So a lot of people will look for really popular project types. Those can be advantageous when you already have enough following so that your videos are going to get a view boost so that they do well in the searches for those things. But they can actually be, in my mind, a liability when you're just getting started. Yep. So one of the reasons why it is, uh, or one of the concepts I really like is sort of clustering a whole bunch of content around a niche topic so that's why i'll do like a whole bunch of videos early on on concrete or when i was sort of a medium-sized channel i would sort of do a whole bunch of videos all around like copper that's why i did everything mid-century modern i would everything Mm -hmm. would try and link back to itself but keep going so that's clustering right so we're not going after the most popular topics which would be sort of like woodworking or diy right the, those search terms are massive and you're competing with all the massive channels out there and not just individuals, the actual media companies like you know BuzzFeed that are putting these things out. Right. So what I want to do is say, hmm, what's a topic that has a lot of people but isn't as big as the bigger ones where there's a disproportional ratio of it's not a massive search term, but there's still a lot of search relative to the amount of content out there. And that's one of the strategic reasons why I focus so much on concrete early on is that I knew if I can produce a whole bunch of concrete designs, yes, I'll get sometimes labeled as a sort of concrete guy, (laughs) but 
I know that I'll consistently build around that sort of niche and that anytime you, and if, if you go into YouTube and you put DIY concrete, chances are you're going to see my videos in probably at least like seven out of the top 20 posts. Uh, it's different depending on your, 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 your view history and stuff like that. But for, I think, uh, for, for, for most, I, I'll, I'll be in a pretty, at least 25% of the top 20 returns on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an investment around where if I had tried to be re- really well-rounded, you know, and sort of, oh, I'm going to do one woodworking and then one this, I would have never built that momentum around a specific topic because what YouTube is sort of doing is sort of saying like, oh, this guy does a lot of things around this topic and not a lot of other people are, are dedicating so much time to this topic. The videos do pretty well. So let's we can sort of push him up as sort of a as a general sort of content supplier for that search query yep you, you know what? i hate to do this i got to backtrack i forgot to mention this during the what we're working on i'm actually doing a uh, fidget spinner couch this week <laughs> 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 yeah forgot to mention that but yeah just so you guys know fidget spinner yeah fidget spinners no none of us have done fidget spinners right no 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 oh, that's good we're not done. assholes hey no, <laughs> let's go is that the other unpopular opinion no no i i've had a lot of brands come to me uh saying oh why don't you do a fidget spinner yeah. thing um and it would have been okay if you I, did it like look, six months ago but no i i totally would have if i would have had uh an idea for one um and i i don't i don't have any you know, sort of uh, snobbish sort of ideas of, you know, I've done Pokemon projects, you know, for God's <laughs> sake. So, like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll hitch myself to a hype train if, if, <laughs> if I feel like I have a take on it. Um, but again, if I, you know, if I, if an idea doesn't immediately come to mind, then I, then I don't really go for it. Um, and I've seen some sort of fidget spinner projects that I thought were cool. And in some cases, I, they were like a great segue to learning something about machining or, 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 tool process that I didn't know about before. But I think that's a good example where if you were doing it sort of organically and we're early on that way, it would be great. But if you're doing it now and thinking that's going to build you search, no, you're sort of getting in yeah. on the, 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 the top videos are already established. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be kind of buried. But yeah, I think that is a good one. Just having, having a strong focus at the start of your channel is a, is a big key. Um, Cause that was something I, like I said, I tried to make, uh, you know, I tried to do a couple concrete videos at first. They didn't get any traction. That was because Ben right. took up all the search results. So yeah. I tried to find something that was getting searched a lot. And I, and I did a little, uh, what do you call that? When you can go into figuring out like, uh, just Google trends. What is that called? Yeah. What's that called, Ben? That's it. Like where Google you can trends. look for like Google search trends and whatnot. Google trends. Google Trends. Thank you. <laughs> but anyways, and I saw I'll that. I'll Google it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I saw that mid-century modern furniture was getting a lot of search a couple years ago. And at the time, there really weren't many people making DIY mid-century things. And now there's a whole lot of it. So for someone that's saying like, ooh, maybe I should make a bunch of mid-century things, don't do that anymore because there's a lot of people doing it. So I think the key for a young channel is figuring out what is something people are really interested in making that there's not already content for at the key. Right. Of yeah. it. That's what Ben was saying. And, and I think that's that really is what got Ben launched. That's what got me launched. And I think it's kind of what Chris got launched in is it wasn't so much the project, but more the format. 
the people that are interested in woodworking and woodworking content, there's a lot of people that are doing what Ben and I are doing. There's a lot of people showing you step by step with voiceover. But a year ago, not many people were doing what Chris was doing. So and now everybody is. But no, in reality, there are a lot of people now doing exactly what few, Chris yeah. is doing. More people. And yeah. I, not to hate on anyone that's doing that, and I'm definitely not going to call anybody out, but I think it's I just going to be tough. No, well, yeah, Chris is bitter <laughs> about it. But I just think it's going to be harder and harder to try and, you know, rise through the whatever you want to call it, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you I've established myself say. as this the sentimental woodworker. Yeah, he's he's the artsy. <laughs> I woodworker. own this space. Yeah. <laughs> so so to sort of recap that that concept of clustering, and I'm actually currently working on a cluster of content around uh, stone projects. One is because creatively, I like that. Right, you invest in a new sort of type of materials, and then it makes sense to kind of explore them in different ways. But also, and all these. In all of these different uh, videos that involve either, you know, bluestone benches or I just did some slate cheese boards, I have tags like how to cut stone, how to cut stone with a circular saw, how to cut stone with a, a tile saw, right? Yep. So again, there'll be like three or four of these videos that involve cutting stone that, so that when somebody searches how to cut stone, they might just be asking that general query for a technique, not looking for a project. Right. The, the idea is that hopefully my if I keep populating projects that are full projects that satisfy my subscriber base, hopefully I'll pick up some new people that were just searching for that, how to do it. Yeah. And if I also provide utility of sort of demonstrating it with different tool types, I can sort of show some uh, sort of content uh, expertise around that particular search query. Um, so clustering is a very powerful technique and look for the trends, but don't always go after the most popular trends. Look at the ratio of popularity to the supply of content. Boom. Yep. I think one thing that I'd like to add that kind of gets away from this a little bit and is some more just kind of practical advice um, is that so if you look at the way things grow, it kind of is like a slow grind at the beginning and you do build momentum and things pick up where, you know, you have these little peaks and then you have a plateau that's hopefully like higher than your last plateau was. So something that really helped me in the beginning in getting some momentum was Reddit. And I don't know if you guys used Reddit or tried it, but the thing that I love about Reddit is that it's a total, for the most part, meritocracy. So it's the best wins. What you know, the cool ideas get pushed to the top. Whereas if you look at something like YouTube, it's a lot easier for somebody who's already big to get noticed than somebody small. Like, you know, it's just it's tough to, right. to find your voice Launch in there. Launch point on, matters a lot. Right. So putting things on Reddit and especially to kind of go to what Ben was saying as sort of a, a microcosm. So, you know, it's hard to get to the top of the subreddit DIY and it's a little bit easier to get to the top of the subreddit woodworking and it's a lot easier depending on what you're doing to get to the top of the subreddit artisan videos and so that was like the first thing that I got on the top of and oh. you know maybe that maybe that gave me 500 subscribers or whatever but those 500 subscribers are so valuable in the very beginning you right. know and and then from that, then, you know, I did get a little bit of success on, on the woodworking subreddit, and, and that's a bigger one, and so that gives you more. And then I have had a little bit of success on the DIY subreddit. And, 
the 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 bad thing is that yeah now every time you're starting you're starting fresh when you post a video people don't know who you are they're not waiting for your stuff it's just oh that's cool all voted up but that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it for somebody that's new is that you can be nobody and you can post something and it can you know get a little bit in, so, of interest yeah that, that that's a really good concept that you just sort of shared and i would sort of call that something like uh being a <laughs> being self-objective and also going through a progression. So the the analogy, I think that's also the way you describe using Reddit is also a good way to use hashtags on Instagram. Mm-hmm. If you don't yes. have a lot of followers on, on Instagram, you don't want to be using the most popular hashtags because you might get a slight little bit of awareness, but those popular hashtags, there's so many people posting within those that your, your post is going to get pushed right down when somebody searches for the hashtag. What you want to do for hashtags is pick hashtags that you have a plausible chance of getting in the top nine for. Yeah. So when I was getting started on Instagram, I was looking for really obscure hashtags that had like 5,000 posts in them. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then I was like, okay, with my few hundred followers, those are ones I can be in the top nine for. Yeah. And then as the following grows, I progressively take on more and more popular hashtags but i'm still not going for the top ones um i'm going for the ones where it's plausible where i can get into the top nine so that that takes a little bit of like trial and error to sort of figure out okay so now i know that if they have if it's like sort of two hundred thousand to like eight hundred thousand posts in the hashtag i have a pretty good chance of getting in the top nine so i don't i mean sometimes i'll throw in a flyer and just say hey maybe i'll get lucky or if i'm doing a video and I see that all the top nine are currently images mm. and that I might try to punch a little bit outside of my weight knowing that I have video content, yeah. right? Which oh, nice. uh, sometimes performs a little bit better if there isn't a ton of other videos uh, in, in the top nine. So it's sort of being objective. It's not just saying, hey, I want to be big, so I'm going to do the big things. It's saying, no, this is where I'm at today. This is what my audience is. How can I just take the next step? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's the most efficient next step? Because, again, uh, it's, it's my, my, my least favorite expression is reaching for the stars. I just think that this creates a whole bunch of waste. Nope. Reach for the thing that's challenging, but that you can get. Then pull yourself up. Then reach for something a little bit higher. Yeah. Take the steps. Don't try to just be impatient. I made a video. It's going to go viral. Shoot for the top. No. Be objective about where you're at and go through a progression. Yeah. Knowledge. Reach for the next rung, and eventually you'll get to the stars. Yeah. Not yeah. as catchy. So, I think one one good question that I have for you guys that I think ties into this is what were some of the big boosts that you guys got? Where we, we've all had those moments where suddenly our channel like had major jumps. For me, it was the the first really really big one was uh or the biggest one was the the Lego and concrete yeah YouTube video where it mm-hmm. literally did four million YouTube views in like two or three days. Yeah. I've still never had an experience quite that, uh, extreme, but I remember one of my first ones was I had a project granted. This was whenever I had about 10,000, 15,000 subscribers. So keep everything relative here. But one of my first really big boosts was I had a live edge coffee table that I built. It got put on the like front page of the DIY section of, uh, popular mechanic and, uh, another really big publication can't remember what it is and i got a really big i almost doubled 
my channel size in like three days because of that. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I realized like, wow, okay, I need to figure out how to make my content shareable because that's what's going to get, that's what is going to get my channel growing is other people <laughs> doing the legwork almost in terms of, you know, if I can get w- one channel to share my content, that's going to go a lot further than me trying to do all the legwork myself. If I can get, you know what I mean? It's like a cumulative effect of multiple people sharing it rather than me trying to push it myself the whole time. Yeah. I think that I, Oh, go ahead. So that, that, that would segue into another sort of thing that I, that I have will be another sort of unpopular opinion about sort of syndication and making wins for other people. Uh, The biggest people on YouTube and you know, and we tend to think of people as big as hundreds of thousands or maybe a couple million subscribers. That's uh-huh. not really that big on the overall media landscape. Right. Like, you know, when you get over sort of five or 10 million, then you're actually big. Um, and I think one of the, the other things about sort of being objective and, and, and knowing you're sort of where you actually stand is uh, <laughs> we're all sort of independent amateur media producers and we get really excited because we built significant audiences like, you know, and, and it, it is significant. Some people, you know, there's HGTV shows that don't get as many viewers as our channels. Um, that being said, that doesn't mean we get to act and doesn't mean we get to deserve the same opportunities that uh, long format, highly produced video does. And it doesn't mean we're just as valuable to sponsors and all those things. Right. You know, uh, Mike was saying that, you know, he got a big boost when, this sort of media, uh, when popular, uh, was it popular mechanics? I think so. Yeah. Posted you. So what that's, that's a way that you can get a big boost is when, when traditional media sort of picks, picks up your stuff or in some cases, whether or not a sponsor actually puts ad spend behind something that you do. So one of the most important things that I think you can do is create a whole bunch of wins for other people. Mm-hmm. If you're working with a sponsor, make sure you don't just do what you do, get as much money from them and move on. No, no, no. Build a partnership, make a win. If you work with a collaborator, don't just try to get your sh- shout out and then move on to the next one. Make sure you help them win something. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I mean, I think when we first sort of uh, reached out, you, I think you were almost like a little bit surprised at how uh, you're like, oh, thanks, man. You're, you're, yeah, you're really <laughs> nice. Real. It was like, oh, okay, he's a cool dude. Wow. Okay, nice. Yeah. Right, right. And it's because like, <laughs> I, I saw what you're doing. I saw that you were, you know, you were still just getting started. Didn't have a big following yeah, then, you, but I saw that you were producing great content and that you were growing fast. Yeah, and that was when you introduced me to Ryobi. Yeah, and I said, if I, I I'm like, I want to make sure this, and it was self-serving in a lot. And, and you know, I mean, one, I thought you were nice and I liked your work, <laughs> but I was like. You know, you'd post them some questionable sort of political posts, but I didn't hate you for that. Uh, <laughs> I cleaned all that up, though. It's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was like, this guy, this guy is tenacious and he's going to do stuff. So it's it's a good investment to try to help him to create a couple wins for him if I can. Yeah. Um, and I think that attitude of not sort of thinking of yourself as as this king in this little castle with your audience and you control it and you don't have to help anybody and you can do things your way. I think that that can be a really dangerous attitude or not a dangerous one, just one that limits upside and growth. Yeah. And I think the more wins you create for people and if you think of brands, not as brands that are trying to use you, but it's like, no, there's somebody there, some middle level marketing person 
help them get a promotion. Yeah. Help them win. Because if you're the person that helps them promotion, you know what? When they actually have big money for an ad spend, guess who they're going to go to? You. You know who they're not going to go to? Casey Neistat. They're not going to go. They're not going to go to the guy that nickel and dimed them or tried to squeeze everything out or just did the bare minimum on that contract. Uh, And even if that person has a way bigger audience than you, you're probably going to get the thing, and then they'll just say, uh, well, we'll just put a little more ad spend to make up their audience. Exactly. Now, I'm so yep. sorry that we're going to have to cut ourselves off, but we are running out of time for today. I think this has been a really awesome conversation, and I bet there are a lot of fans or people listening that are also probably benefiting from this. So what I, w- I think is a good idea, let's do a round two on this conversation, and let's try and make it as... Uh, like crowdfunded as possible. Let's try and get as many fan questions or listener questions. I hate saying fan questions. Let's try and get as many listener questions as we can. That way, maybe we can answer some of the questions that we don't realize are questions that need answered. Um, so hit us up yep. uh, either on Instagram, send us an email, send us a voice memo, record a voice memo on your phone, email that to modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll play that back. Uh, I think this is a really cool conversation. And it sucks that we have to cut it off, but we're all already going over time. So, yeah. We're running out of some memory space thing, too. It's a little, yeah, it's the we'll, podcast we'll talk later about It's not us. The, pod, <laughs> the podcast app is cutting us off. Uh, that's all. So, yeah, give us questions because I think this has been a, a really good conversation that, you know, most people would make you have to pay for. So because Ben's given us but we're making ben, wins Ben for is you. giving us like the, the yeah. beginner guide you're the you're the new Ty Lopez Ben <laughs> oh I've, I've met Ty I'm, I'm sorry I'm, no I'm playing I'm a lot taller <laughs> nice but anyways uh thank you guys so much for uh listening thank you for all the reviews we've gotten we're all out of stickers but I'm going to be placing a new order in really soon that way for the people that weren't able to get some can still get some um and yeah I guess we'll just catch you next week. Thank you guys for listening. We're out of time. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye.